Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses. Uh, Those of you who are part of our life group ministry, I think the leaders have sent you the notes, or you could just go ahead and quickly, I don't know if it's up there, just you scan it, and then you can get the notes, and it's on our church app as well. So we're starting off the month of December. It's hard to believe we only have 30 some more days or less than 30 some days uh, before this year ends and we start a whole new year. And we're entering into this month of December. And as some of you probably know, this is what we call the Advent season. Just so that we're all on the same page, the Advent is four Sundays before Christmas. It's a time where all the whole global church comes together to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, just so that you know what this Advent season is, it comes from the Latin word eventus, and which means the arrival or the coming. And it's in reference to Jesus Christ who came into this world, uh, born in a manger, and then as he lived his life, perfect life, that we could not live. He died on the cross and resurrected from the dead And it's also a time for us to prepare and to also be reflective of his second coming. Because we know that Jesus Christ is going to be coming back. We don't know when, but he will be coming back. And that's why part of this Advent season is not only to celebrate the birth of Christ, but it's also to prepare ourselves for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do a four-part series of this Advent series, and we're going to simply call it the light of Christmas. We're going to focus on this theme Of the light. In part one, I'm going to talk about the promise of the light, which I'm going to talk about today. And then in part two, it's the presence of the light and the significance of why the light coming into this world, why it has ramification for us. And then in part three, I'm going to talk about the pursuit of the light as we pursue after Jesus Christ. And lastly, the proclamation of the light as we declare this on the 24th of this Sunday as we celebrate. Christmas. We want to be able to proclaim that to the nation. So let me go ahead and just start off and ask this question. And you got to have to be honest here. How many of you are afraid of the dark? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. No no one wants to raise their hand. Okay. This is is when you want to turn off all the lights and then put a loud boom. And those who yell, they were lying because they are afraid. But I don't know about you, but something about the dark for many people, it's scary. And the reason why is because it's really about the unknown. When it's completely dark, you don't know what's in front of you, and that's why it's a little bit scary. There are times when you think about even your life, and you don't know what the future holds. It sometimes can be a little bit frightening. And that's why I think when I think about this whole unknown or even darkness, this is just my confession. The thing that I'm afraid of is the deep sea. Now, some of you love the sea. You love the ocean. But the deep ocean really scares me. A lot of it is because there's a lot of unknown things. And it's amazing. We've explored space, but we haven't explored as much as of what's beneath us, which is the deep sea. And those of us who know marine biology or you studied or you looked at some pictures or Google or National Geographic, you will notice that there are a lot of stuff in the ocean that we did not know about. 
I mean, some of you are thinking, oh, I love the ocean, because you're thinking about Bahamas, I don't know, Fiji somewhere, and the water's clear, you can see your toes, but we're talking about the deep ocean. And just so that you know what I'm talking about, they actually explored the deep ocean, and they took some pictures of some of the creatures that are out there. So let me, let me show you some pictures. I don't know if you can see it. Okay. <laughs> See, as soon as he said, ew, it went off, all right? But, uh, <laughs> so, one of the things you will notice is that, I don't know, can we, yeah, there we go. Okay, we got it back on, all right? This is a real live shot of some of the creatures that are really in the deep ocean. And they kind of look scary, don't they? Or some of us are like, ooh, they're ugly, all right? But they're pretty scary. Here's some other pictures. I mean, they resemble somebody, right? Or someone we know. But I, anyway, fascinating, fascinating fish under the sea. And here's another one. Some of you are familiar with this, right? It's been on the news. I think there's one more here. Look at these creatures. Some of you might know James Cameron. He's the film director for the Titanic and Avatar. And on March 26, 2012, he ended up going to the deepest known part of the sea. And it's near Guam and that whole area in Fiji. And it's called the Mariana Trench. And this place is so deep that it's estimated that it's over 7 miles or 11.2 kilometers deep. In fact, if you took the highest point in the world, which is Mount Everest, and you inverted it and put it at the length of how deep it is, it will go even further, a mile further deep. And what he did was he ended up piloting this submersible, and he went down to this deep area called the Challenger, or the Challenge uh, Deep. That's what they call it, the Challenger Deep. And he ended up taking some pictures as the other people in the past but it's fascinating because of this whole journey of going into the deep ocean. Now, like I mentioned, if there's anything I'm scared of, that's one thing, the deep, and it's just completely dark. And as it started descending down into the ocean ground, when the lights turned on, this is where you begin to see a lot of different creatures that's under the sea that we don't see with the human eyes. And so I wanted to kind of show you this quick video that was on the news that talked about what James Cameron did. And it was an incredible feat because it went into the darkest and the deepest place known to human beings here on this earth. So let's watch it together. Crazy. I don't know how many of you would volunteer to go on one of those trips. Well, all I know is count me out. I'll watch it from the laptop. What is it about darkness? What is it about things that are unknown that causes us oftentimes to not only fear, but to fret, to worry, to be concerned? I think a lot of it is because we want to be in control. And there's nothing wrong to have some level of self-control, but oftentimes there are things in life that are outside of your control. You cannot control people. You cannot sometimes control circumstances that are beyond you. And that's why oftentimes it causes the emotional pull of 
worry or fear because we don't know the unknown. I'm just wondering, what would it be like to be completely trapped in darkness? In fact, the Bible always talks about this imagery of light and darkness. And he used, and in Scripture, it uses it in the context of a follower of Jesus Christ, that if you are a believer, you are in the light. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you are in darkness. Let me give you some Bible verses that remind us of this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and verse 13, listen to what it says. And read the yellow section with me. It says this, For at one time, come on, say this, you were darkness. It's not you were in darkness. You were darkness. But now you are the light of, in the Lord. That now because we have, are believers in Christ, we are believers in the Lord. Walk as children of light, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Here's another verse, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So it talks about an area. It, it's, a, it's a part that controls you, the domain of darkness. And then what did God do? He what? Transferred us into the kingdom. So that is referring to the light of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And let me give you one more. As Apostle Paul was giving his testimony to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, it says this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. That's what Paul's calling was, to share the gospel message so that people will turn from darkness to the light of Jesus Christ and from power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. That's what we want to talk about as we talk about this promise of the light that is to come. And as we know now in history, it has come. And it's offering, that light is being offered to you this morning. As we prepare for Christmas and this Advent season, let's be reminded that the light of Christmas is found in Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Let me give us the one thing that I want us to remember, simply this, that Jesus radiantly shines his light so that we can live each day with his might. Let me say it again, that Jesus radiantly shines his light so we can live each day with his might. He is constantly shining his light into our lives. And you will see it in different ways throughout the week, throughout the day. Because he wants you not to trust in yourself, but to live according to the might that he provides when you say, God, I cannot do this, but you can't. I know many of you right now are at this season at work where it's just the end of the year, so there's a lot of things you have to finish. There are many of you who are students, and this is a time where finals come in and there's a lot of stress and things going on. I pray that you will be able to finish off 2023 with the might of Jesus Christ rather than trusting in yourself. That's why we have to look towards the light of Jesus. So I'm going to talk about two things here as we look at Isaiah chapter 9, that as Jesus radiantly shines his light upon us so that we can live according to his might, there are two things that we have to remember about Jesus being the light. The first thing is this, Jesus, our light, what he does is he offers us hope, that Jesus, our light, offers us hope. As we start this chapter, we have to understand that this was a very dark time for Israel. 
And many of you don't know the history, so I'm going to just share it very quickly here. Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The problem is that the northern kingdom, as the south and the north both disobeyed God at certain times, but the northern kingdom, every single time they got a new king, that king was disobedient to God. In fact, instead of worshiping God, they started worshiping the God of whatever land that they were at. And so at this particular time in the two kingdoms, in the northern kingdom, we see here that there was tremendous disobedience because of King Ahaz. Ahaz was a king that ruled over the northern kingdom during this specific time. And he, what he did was he sacrificed to the pagan gods of Assyria. And that's why God allowed the Assyrians to rule over Israel. So I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 and 2. Let's, let's read this and just follow along. Listen to what it says. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. We notice that there was gloom, anguish, and darkness. And it is in this moment that you will get a glimpse of the hope that God was offering to these people. And it was about a hope that was to come into the future. But we know that this was ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, and also in verse 9. And you can read the yellow section with me. It says this. The word gave life to everything that was created, and he uh, and his life, what did it do? Brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, has come into the world. So here's the Apostle John saying that this light that was foreshadowed even in the book of Isaiah that it is Jesus Christ, that he is the light of the world. We see this more specifically in John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus himself says that he is the light of the world. Listen to what it says. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but, I, but will have the light of life. The true life comes by walking in the light, who is Jesus Christ. And lastly, John chapter 9, verse 5, it says this, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's who Jesus Christ is. That in anguish and in turmoil and difficulties, that he is the light of the world. And to think about this, that even in Isaiah, it was prophesied that the Messiah will come. And here's Jesus who now understood that this was him that was referring to, that he is the light of the world. I think it's amazing how God gives us a glimpse of hope in this Messiah to come, even as they were facing so much of the hardships and the heartaches in their lives. Why is this important for us? I want you to think about this for a moment. Because I believe that God is constantly giving us glimpses of hope in our lives. How many times have you been reminded through little things 
Sometimes the big things of the faithfulness of God and how he has worked in your life. Some of you who are finishing off university, how many times during this season of finals and difficulties that God has shown his faithfulness to you? How many of those of us who are working or you have families and you've gone through similar things in the past and God has been faithful and he has helped you during these times? That's why I think we need these reminders because sometimes it is easy to forget and get so consumed with what we have before us and what we're facing that we forget that God, he's going to help me through even in this situation because he has helped me in the past. God is faithful to provide. God is faithful to deliver. God is faithful to comfort whatever you're facing at this moment. Let's continue on as we read in verse 3 to 5, and we'll see some other things as we talk about Jesus, our light, how he offers us hope. Listen to what it says. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased his joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What we notice here is that after we see this glimpse of hope in the darkness, that this light has come, this great light has come, we will see there are a couple things that the prophet Isaiah describes about when the light comes that it's going to do for us. And those who are hearing this in the midst of the anguish, in the midst of the struggle, you will see how they respond. First thing that we notice is there will be joy. You see that God promises to multiply and increase the Israelites' joy. They will know that God watches over them and God will provide for them, even though they're facing what they're facing, that God is faithful. Also in verse 4, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Now let's just pause here and I want to just allude to this because I think this is important. Why is this prophecy given in this time of difficulty and why is it pointing to Jesus? And this is the part that I think when you understand the fulfillment of, the fulfillment of prophecy, you realize that he really is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This prophecy about the Messiah who is going to come, breaking the yoke, it reminds us when every single time Jesus was speaking to the Israelite people during that time, he was actually talking about the very thing that you've heard long ago that I have fulfilled as the Messiah, this king of this new kingdom that I'm introducing. Where do we see this? We see that Jesus promised this very thing to his followers. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, listen to what it says. Come to me, all who are, what? Come on, say this. Weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take what? My yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's Jesus talking about that him being the Messiah, that his burden and yoke is light. That it will not crush you. 
In fact, I love the message translation of this to help us to understand maybe a little bit more deeply with what we're facing in our lives. The message translation says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest, a real rest. How many of you guys want some real rest, amen? The, this is what he's offering. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the word of God. What he promises unto us as he offers us hope in the midst of the struggles that you're facing right now. I'm wondering if you've been facing this joy and experiencing this joy and this rest in your life. You know, I was thinking about this even from my own life. I realized when I start losing this joy that I once had, especially when I'm serving or doing other things, I'm just simply at a moment in that time forgetting about who Jesus is. Maybe some of you are trying to serve and there's no joy. Maybe some of you are just trying to finish off school or even things at work and there's no joy. It's during those times when we forget about our purpose. Why are we doing what we're doing? It's not because of us, but it's because of Jesus and it's for Jesus. And if we would just turn to him, can you imagine what kind of joy that we can experience knowing that we're doing this because it's all what he has done for us? So not only the joy do we see here, but I want you to notice the second thing quickly here, that you will see that there is victory. In verse 5, God says that he will give the Israelites victory over his enemies. This is the same way when Jesus died on the cross. That was the greatest victory in humankind. Because the only thing that Satan had over us was death. And that's why when Jesus died and rose again from the dead, even the last weapon that Satan had, now th that weapon is nullified because we know that if we die, that we will resurrect with Jesus Christ. This is what P Apostle Paul remembered when he mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 through 57. He says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is a sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us, say this with me, victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love what 1 John says in chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is why we can have this victorious life, even this joy-filled life, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How about us this morning? Like I said, I, I don't know what you're facing right now, but I'm wondering if you're experiencing the joy and the victory that's ours in Christ. I'm wondering if you've embraced Jesus as the light of the world, that even though everything before you seems so dark, because he is the light of the world, there's hope that we have in our hearts. Jesus, our light, offers us hope. Let me close out with the second point. And the second point is simply this. Jesus, not our light, not only offers this hope, 
But we're going to see here in verse 6 and 7 that Jesus, our light, offers us help, especially in the help in the time of need. And I'm going to explain why that's the case here. Jesus, our light, offers us help. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 6 and 7 and listen to what it says in these verses. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What we see is that God promises a son will be born and given to the people. Now, this was a prophetic word that was pointing to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, earlier in chapter 7, you will see that promise was very clear. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, listen to what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So there's going to be a sign that will clearly show that this is I, God of the universe. This is what I will do. He will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is very significant because the word Emmanuel as many of you know, means God with us, or God is with us. God is not a distant God. God, rather, he came down to this earth and lived the life that we could not live, which is in holiness and in perfection, complete perfection. We could not do that. That's why he had to come down to rescue us. So think about that. What we could not do for ourselves to live this perfect life, Jesus came and he lived it for us. And the significance of God being with us is that he could have been a very distant God, but he actually came to demonstrate and to show love and righteousness. The mention of how the government shall be on his shoulders is a reference to a king who will govern over all the nations. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. And that's why he is the ultimate king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. So this promise of a Messiah and this deliverer is now personified in different character traits of who he is. Now, this is important that I'm going to try to go through this quickly. What are the character traits of this Messiah and the title that is given to him? If he's going to be our help, what kind of person is going to help us? And that's why we need to look at these traits. There are four specific traits that we saw in verse 6. The first trait is wonderful counselor. Everyone say wonderful counselor. The word wonderful oftentimes is translated as exceptional or distinguished in the original language. It is reference to something that is supernatural or out of the ordinary. So it reminds us that God, out of all people, is this extraordinary, very distinguished counselor who will guide us. This is why even later in the book of Isaiah, it is mentioned that about God's guidance. It says this in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. It says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is 
wonderful in counsel and excellence in guidance. Can we just pause here and think about this? I'm wondering how many of you right now are in a crossroad. You have to make a decision. I'm wondering how many times you've been in a situation at work where there's tension in your heart because maybe your boss wants you to do something, but you realize that there's certain convictions that you have that God has given. Maybe there is a temptation to cheat, even as a student, because you want to get a good grade, because your identity might be fully on that, rather than saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? Some of you, God's been speaking to you the last several weeks and even this past month during missions month. And you're wondering, God, what is it that you want me to do? And there's nothing wrong with seeking advice from people. In fact, the Bible also talks about that we should seek counsel because it's the fool who doesn't seek counsel and makes his own decisions and thinking that it's his own way. But I'm wondering, when was the last time you actually spent some time in prayer and turning to this wonderful counselor? Extraordinary, distinguished, wonderful counselor. This is the reason why when some of us make decisions, we're always based on who am I going to please? Or what will that person say about me? This is the reason why whenever we try to make decisions and we feel like it's from God, but it's really our own self-centered motives, when, when it gets questioned or when you go through difficult times, you start doubting it. I really do pray that every single one of us in our church that we can Seek this God. This is who he is. This this is his title. Wonderful counselor. That we can seek him and he will give us the wisdom and the counsel that we need. And once you know that it's God, once you know it's the spirit of God that's convicting you, that's when you could stand firm and even willing to die for something that you believe. Even in the midst of all the opposition. I don't know how many times in my own life that I had to face many different criticism and different things. And it's so tempting to be swayed by people and their opinions that I'm going to tell you right now, when you govern your life that way, you will be miserable. And that's why when I seek God and he clearly puts this conviction in my heart, I bounce it off different people that I trust. And as they are in agreement in the spirit that says, you know, I really feel like God is trying to stretch you or God is trying to teach you how to trust in him. Or maybe God is trying to rebuke you and tell you to do something else. Whenever I get this counsel and I feel it in my spirit, then when I move forward, that's when I know that it is not me, but it's this wonderful counselor who's guiding me. When was the last time you actually sat still in solitude and sought after this wonderful counselor to help you in the midst of some of the decisions you have to make. Not only wonderful counselor, another title is given is mighty God. Everyone say mighty God. The word mighty mostly has a reference to power or in strength or strong. And it points to the fact that the power of God is unlimited and all other powers derive from God and God alone, and it's subject to him, because there is no power that is above God's power. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 through 13, listen to what it says. It says, yours, O Lord, is, come on, say this with me, the greatness and the power 
And the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to what? Make great and to give strength to all. See, God's power, because he is a mighty God, it is unlimited. I see so many people who are doing things in the name of God, which is great but you're really doing it in your own power and strength. I'm just wondering if if there's even a testimony of some of us feeling completely overwhelmed with all the exams and all the things that are before us, but somehow there's strength that comes that you don't even know where it's coming from, and you realize you're able to do everything that you need to do. I mean, think about this building that we're in. I mean, even to this day, when I share about what God has done in our church, to tell them that we had about 20-some days to get all this ready. They're all shaking their head. Even the contractors, they were shaking their head. Like, I don't know. Like, but we need it. We want to start it on this date. And let me just give you a little side comment on this. The reason why we're pushing it, because we're paying rent on the other side, and we don't want to pay rent anymore, because we don't have the resources. So in many ways, I don't know if it was faith, but it was more like practical financial reason. We're like, we need this thing ready now. And all the, all the contractors, some of these people are like shaking their head. We don't think we can. And finally, we found someone who goes, we can. And we're like, really? And a false hope. You know, we're not sure. But here we are. For the praise and glory of God. There have been so many times, not only in our church, but in my life, and I'm sure many of you can testify, where you, you just feel you have no more strength. But because of God's mighty power as you pray, you feel so empowered that you have to stand and give a speech or a presentation and you don't feel that you have the power to do it. But as you pray, you're feeling something that overcomes you at that moment and you realize it's not me, but it's God. That's the kind of power that we have access to. And I say this over, some of you love, you, you just love when your phone is 5%. You just love it. I'm living on the edge. Sometimes when I, I'm like, no, you're being kind of dumb, you know? Why don't you just charge it up so you don't have to worry about it? Like, why are you living on 5%? Wouldn't it be better if you're 100%, 90%? <laughs> That's the power of God. That's why every single day we can actually walk with him, speak to him. Talk with him so that he will empower us. You don't have to get on your knees all the time, but even as you're coming up the elevator on the 22nd floor of the crocodile building, which you enter in, it says transforming lives, transforming the world, that you can say, God, I want to encounter you today. Before you go and see your boss, before you go in and to the, do that presentation, wherever you go, or the person you're going to have to talk to, to say, God, I believe that you are a mighty God. There is no power that is stronger than you. There is nothing that will be able to overcome what you have done in my life. No power is stronger. You're greater, and we worship you. I really believe some of us will experience a Christian life that will be so far different from what you're experiencing now. So we have 
Jesus, who is our wonderful counselor, mighty God. And then we see the third thing, which is everlasting father. Everyone say everlasting father. Now, it's very important that this does not mean Jesus is father. But it's better translated as father of eternity. The word father is a very significant word in the Old Testament. And I'll explain why. Because in the Hebrew, when you think of the word father, it means originator or the source. That's why when it says everlasting father, pretty much what it's saying is you are the source of eternity. You are the source of things that will last forever. That's why in the same way, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says to Satan, you are the father of what? Lies. That you are the source. You, you are the originator of where these lies come from. So that's why this word, father, we look at it as more of the originator or the source. So he is the source of everlasting to everlasting. He is the source of eternity. So here it's pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. He is the source of all things that are eternal. So we have to remember that the things of this world that are temporary, oftentimes it will be disappointing and unfulfilling. Think about that for a moment. There are many things that are enjoyable, but they will not be sustaining and filling our hearts like what Scripture tells us. Because it's only in Jesus where we can truly find a satisfaction that is eternal because he is a source of eternity. The last thing is not only is he the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting, or the source of everlasting or eternity, and then we see he is the Prince of Peace. Everyone say Prince of Peace. We have to remember the word peace in the Hebrew is what? Come on, everyone say, you know this. Shalom. That word shalom, in a general sense, it has this idea of wholeness, completeness, prosperity, or even tranquility. I love what Cornelius Plantiga in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. If you ever want to read a book, it's a little bit more on the philosophical side, but it's a very good book. In this book, as he tries to talk about what sin is, the brevity of sin, he defines shalom as this, and I think this is very significant. He says, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or ceasefire between two enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a state a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder at its creator and savior, opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way it ought to be. We broke the shalom with God because we have sinned. And because we have rebelled against God. This is why sometimes you don't feel good in your heart. Because you have been sometimes separated from God. Or you have been distant from God. Because that is not the way it's supposed to be. That's not what God intended. 
The true shalom that God wants to give, the peace that he wants to give, is this wholeness in every aspect of our lives. And that is only found in Jesus Christ because he was able to take us enemies and the enmity that was between us and God. He took that away and now we are children of God. And that's why if you use the shalom in the context to describe a relationship, it is depicted as friendship, care, loyalty, or unconditional love. That's why we are friends of God and no longer enemies. This is why God is loyal and we could return that devotion and to be loyal to him. Because this is the way God designed us. The true shalom. To have this peace with God that can transform your life. Only Christ gives us this true peace. This is why he is called the Prince of Peace. That's why even once again, the prophecy in John chapter 14, verse 27, it was fulfilled. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It is the shalom that only Jesus Christ can give to your life. What a great reminder for some of the promises that we see here in this Advent season. That he's going to guide us because he's this wonderful counselor. He's going to give us strength because he's the mighty God. That we can focus on things that are eternal because he alone is the everlasting father or the source of eternity. That we have this peace because we serve and we worship the Prince of Peace. Lastly, in verse 7, the prophet Isaiah gives this prophecy about Jesus' rule and how it will last forever because of this unconditional commitment that God made to David. That on David's throne, from generation after generation after generation, it will last forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 says this, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is the promise of God. And now Jesus Christ, who died and rose again from the dead, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will rule for eternity. I love that last phrase. Can we just go back to verse 7? I, I think this is important for us to note as I close here. You'll notice in verse 7, it says this, The zeal of the Lord of hosts, come on, say this, will do this. Now you could just read that and, okay, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What you need to understand is that that phrase, the zeal of the Lord, it is translated as a passionate commitment. So if I could reread this, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, it says, the passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will what? Guarantee this. See, God is not a promise maker that he ends up breaking. That he makes a promise and because of his passionate commitment to his own glory and his passionate commitment to us and to the church, he will guarantee it. He will do it. This is why he's trustworthy. This is why any promise that we have, we can have full hope in it, knowing that he will help us in the midst of what we go through. How about us this morning? 
Do you know God's passionate commitment towards you? Even though your whole world might be falling apart, even though you're stressed out about so many other things, that his commitment to you is a passionate commitment that he will pursue you. You could run away from him. You could turn away from him, but he will pursue you. He loves you. And these traits of Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, these traits are now us for us to experience as we come to know Jesus Christ. Jesus, our light, offers us help. And the beauty of this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 is that this is simply the gospel. Because of your sins and my sins, many of us, we are living in anguish and darkness. And a lot of times we're, we're wondering, what is it that I need to do? And that's the problem, because you're trying to reform yourself. You're trying to make things better on your own strength or your power, and you cannot. You can't get rid of your sin by doing all these righteous things. Your motivation is to try to make yourself right with God. But we will never be made right with God apart from Jesus. Why? Because our sin separates us from God. But if we look at who Jesus is, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, we begin to see a God who is passionately committed to his people. That's why Jesus was sent to this earth to die, to live the life that you and I could not live and died on the cross that should have been our cross. He died and then rose again from the dead, that he conquered even the last weapon, weapon that Satan had, which was death. That now if we put our trust in him, even if we were to die, we will spend the rest of eternity with him. This is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And in this season of Advent, I want to offer this to all of you who may be kind of still coming out to our church, our life group, but you haven't made that decision. To finally realize that in my own strength of power, I cannot do anything. That I need Jesus. That he is my hope and he is my help. I also want to challenge some of us who are believers. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time. But in many ways, you still live like a person who does not really believe in who Jesus is. You get stressed. You get overwhelmed to the point where you don't trust God anymore. In many ways, you are a practicing agnostic or atheist, even though you call yourself a believer. Because you're trusting in yourself, your own self-sufficiency. You are trying to please people rather than pleasing God. I'm wondering if this morning, before you leave this place, we could recommit ourselves to Jesus, who is the light of the world, that in the midst of this darkness, that we could fully trust in him because our hope is in him and our only help comes from him. What would happen to your life if you will fully trust in that way? That's why the one thing, as I mentioned before, is that Jesus radiantly shines his light so that we can live each day with his might, his power in us. I would like to offer a couple things for us to meditate on and then apply into our lives this coming week. You know, I'm very reminded of what the book of James says. Don't just be a mere hearer of the words and then just walk away. 
Because what he says is that then you're like a person who looks in the mirror and walks away and forget what you look like. The Word of God, what it does is it illuminates into our hearts. It's like the light that shines into our lives, areas that we need to get right with God. And many of us, we know this up here, but it hasn't transformed into action. And if you would obey His Word, I'm telling you right now, some of us, we would not be where we are right now. Maybe complacent, apathetic, struggling with some of the things to believe and have faith. What we need is the power of God to come upon us and say, I want to believe in your word. If this is who you are, you're my hope and my help. And the light of the world has come. And I want to believe that. Then there's some steps that you got to take. And I want to encourage you to do that this coming week. Find somebody you can be accountable to. Find somebody who can help you in this journey. Let me give us several of these next steps. The first thing is this. Turn to Jesus and not to yourself. As soon as you start feeling overwhelmed, don't turn to yourself and say, if I just watch another Netflix, then it will re-energize me. No, it won't. Okay, take it from me. We've all been there. You think that if you just kind of get your mind away from something or do something that it's going to energize you, but you get more tired. Turn to Jesus. And how do you do that? I don't see him. I don't feel him. Turn to his word. Sometimes one of the best things to do is just sit there in quiet and silence. Sometimes listening to praise music and to think about him. Think about the cross. Say, God, this is where I am. And I, I want to turn to you. Turn my eyes towards you. As the song says, and the things of this world will grow strangely, strangely dim as we turn our eyes towards Jesus. Turn to him and not to yourself. The second thing is this. Talk to Jesus and not just to others. Some of you, there's nothing wrong with talking with people. But I realize that's the first thing you do, whether to receive affirmation, even though you're in the wrong, you just want someone to agree with you. That's why some of you have never experienced the power of God of when you're struggling that to not only to turn to Jesus, but to talk with him and allow him to speak. I've been challenging the leaders. If you were to pray 10 minutes, how much of that 10 minutes are you listening? Don't raise your hand because that person might be sitting next to you. But how many of you know people that when you sit down and they do like 90% of the talking? And you're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you walk out of there, I will never talk to that person again. I've been there. We've all been there. I'm wondering what would it be like to say, Lord, this is my situation. You know it already. And you sit there and listen to God. Let him talk. There are times when I'm like that, I'm walking and I'm trying to talk with God. Not out loud, because then people think I'm weird, right? And, but, you know, I'm just thinking, meditating as I'm kind of conversing with Him in my spirit. Sometimes when, as I'm walking, trying to listen, He shows me something that I did not see before. Sometimes He puts a verse in my mind. I'm like, what is that verse? I forget, and I look, and that's exactly what I need. How many of you had those kind of testimonies of God speaking to you? So talk with him, not just to others, but talk to him 
but then listen and see what he will say, especially as he's the light of the world, our hope and our help in time of need. And lastly, trust in his abilities and not yours. Many of you in this room, man, you are talented people. You, you invalid Victorian, but there's some common sense things that you might not be able to do very well. But praise God that you are the valid Victorian. Some of you are so talented ever since you were young. Skill sets that you have. And that's what the world preaches. It's about you, your talents, what you can do. And somehow we believe that in a way that it's all about us. It's dependent on us. And until you fail, until you collapse, until you get to a point where you can't do it anymore, you realize, I'm not enough. I'm wondering if you've ever felt that, that you're not enough. You realize, I can't do that. But we know in Jesus, we're enough. Can I get a good amen to that? We're enough. Because Jesus makes us enough. I'm wondering when is the last time you trusted, not in your abilities, not in your wisdom, not in your talents, but you simply came to a point where, God, I, I, I could try to solve it, I could try to do this, but I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to believe you're the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, and the Prince of Peace. And as you sit there or walk there or wherever you're doing, or from the highest point in Hong Kong, you look out, there will be a tremendous, overwhelming sense of peace that will come, the shalom, that says, I, the God of the universe, I'm in control. You can fully trust me. May this week be filled with this hope that we have in Jesus. May this week be filled with the help that comes from him and him alone. Because Jesus radiantly shines his light upon us every single day. Look around you, you'll see the stars at night. Well, if you go away from the city, the stars at night. Just even when you're quietly by yourself. Even the MTR, because everyone's on their phone anyway, but just look up. In a taxi ride, as you look outside the window, just realize that the presence of God is everywhere, which we're going to talk about next week. The presence of the light. May we understand this promise and let's live differently for the glory of God. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.